lost days. The story of survival in the zombie apocalypse. artificial intelligence specially designed and built by CPR, an organization that was founded in the year 2125, after the height of the zombie apocalypse. We are the Center for Preservation and Reclamation. My mandate is the parsing and dissemination of historical records from what is now known as the Lost Days of Humanity. I will be bringing you individual accounts of survivors from the past 100 years in the hopes that this history will not repeat itself. Entry number one. They wander aimlessly, it seems, or at least that's what I've observed from watching them for the past several weeks. Their disregard for anything other than a warm meal of freshly killed humans is what I think intrigues me the most. I'm watching them now congregate around a pile of what used to be one of my neighbors. I see a lot from the balcony of my fifth story apartment. My view stretches almost three blocks in most directions. I see a lot and I hear a lot as well. Mostly moaning and the occasional low growl, but every now and then I'll hear the screams of some poor unsuspecting person being terrorized and hunted down. Just last week, as dusk was beginning to set in, I arrived home after being away scavenging for supplies and food in nearby stores. I heard the panicked cries of a woman coming from down the street. Just a block away, I assumed. I was in no shape or mood at the time to even attempt to lend her aid. So I continued to go through the multiple locks, barricades, and fail-safes I have put in place for my own protection, and make my way up the five flights of stairs to the safety of my own apartment. The screams became louder outside, so I decided to take a look from the safety of my balcony. And sure enough, there she was, running. More speed walking down the middle of the road, just barely out of arm's reach of a small group of her pursuers. I closed my blinds and made my way to the kitchen to cook a can of whatever the hell it was I was able to find. Later that night, the moaning, the growling outside grew to a level that I'd never heard until then. And with a quick glance out, I could see that what I first saw as a small group of the dead had turned into something quite large and terrifying. There wasn't a piece of ground that wasn't covered in a shambling corpse. I surmised that the woman's screams from earlier must have attracted the nearby horde, and they came looking for a meal. Nevertheless, with my building surrounded and no way out, I realized I'd have to wait them out before I could go back out scavenging. My supplies from the last day's run were nothing to complain about, really. But there is very little of it, and I could feel myself starting to go into what-if mode. And when I go there, I have the potential to psych myself out. My best bet was to just put in my earbuds and listen to a nice calming song from my favorite playlist and hope to catch some sleep. I was sure that in the morning the large gathering of zombies would have found somewhere else to stand. I got about three solid hours of sleep in. And though that doesn't seem like much, let me tell you, it was enough. 
I felt great. It was a new day, and the song I was listening to had played on repeat all night, draining the battery of my shuffle, of course, but it was worth it. I popped the earbuds out, and there it was, the groaning and growling, but now it had turned into a loud droning buzz, much louder than it was last night. I had hoped the horde would have moved on by now, but I guess they were attracted to the noise, and a growing horde certainly is noisy. I was growing concerned at this point and began to think about how I was going to leave the building the next time I needed to. I started looking around in the apartment at what I had to throw, and maybe I could cause a distraction, I thought. I went to the balcony and made sure to stay low so I wouldn't be spotted. I wasn't sure if they'd be able to notice me up here, and I figured I didn't want to take the chance. I looked up and down the street, and there was nothing that stood out to me that would be useful in causing a distraction large enough to clear them all out. But then it hit me. Maybe it's just a basic sensory thing. Maybe they're just as attracted to lights as they are to sound. I had a couple bottles of liquor in my cupboard, along with the basic knowledge of how a Molotov cocktail is made, or at least what I've seen in movies. Armed with this, as well as a straight shot at the large eyesore of a shed my neighbors had put up a few years ago, I was certain that I could set a fire large enough and far enough away in the right direction to draw the attention of the horde. I made myself two Molotovs and searched my junk drawer for a lighter. A bright pink bick stood out from under a pile of rubber bands, spent AA batteries, and random playing cards. I pocketed the lighter and placed the Molotovs carefully into a bag and headed up to the roof. I would need to launch these from as high up as I could get and as far away from my apartment as possible. I spent the rest of the day pondering and thinking and running through scenarios in my head, packing a small bag of essentials in case I had a window of opportunity to sneak out. I figured that night would be the best time to set a blaze that would be seen all around. So as the sun began to set, I made my way back up to the roof and took my position. The wind was picking up, so the lighter took a few flicks before it produced enough flame to ignite the spirit-soaked rag that I had stuffed in the neck of the whiskey bottle. Once it caught, it began to burn, and I threw that thing as far and as hard as I could toward the big wooden shed. It hit the ground and smashed into a ball of flames this side of the partition fence, causing the fence to burn in a few places, but nothing too spectacular. The noise that the smashing bottle made on the pavement caused a few heads to turn and drew the attention of a few dozen. But as the fire petered out, so did their attention, and they began to move back toward the larger group. I had one more attempt at this plan before I had to go back to the drawing board, so I lit the last Molotov and narrowed my focus. This time I put a little arc in my throw, and bullseye, right on target. The alcohol fuel spread across the roof of the shed, and the night sky lit up for a second or two, then died down. But the tar shingles on the roof ignited and caught fire. Scanning the hordes of the dead, I saw that most of them had set their gaze toward the fire and began to shamble in its direction. Popping back down to my apartment and peering out through the balcony, I could see a path forming to the building's exit. And as I had suspected, I might only have this one opportunity, so I had to take it. I grabbed my pack and headed to the door on the first floor. The coast was clear enough to inch the door open and then stealthily make my way to behind where the dumpsters are located at the side of the building. 
The fire down the block had progressed quickly. The roaring and crackling of the oxygen burning the wood almost drowned out the groans and moans of the zombies and almost drowned out the sound of the human screams coming from inside the shed. There couldn't have been anyone in there, could there? I haven't seen anyone in months, let alone going in and out of that shed. It must be my imagination. I would have seen something if there were. The screams grew louder and then finally subsided as the flames and the zombie horde overtook them. I stayed away for a few days, sleeping in abandoned stores and houses nearby, collecting what supplies and food I could as I went. When I returned to the apartment building, the horde was gone. A few leftover stragglers I was able to make quick work of, dispatching them with a hard blow to the head from my crowbar. I was about to head in when I saw from the corner of my eye the burnt-out husk of my neighbor's shed, and in front of it a pile of smoldering bodies. Something inside me pulled me toward it. Something inside me needed to know if there was actually people when I lit it ablaze. I walked over to it carefully, making sure that every step was intentional and not going to find me in a pit of the undead. The shed was gone except for a small portion of a wall and door. The door had a large metal shelf pushed against it, and in the middle of the floor there was a hole with a ladder leading down through the charred remnants of a trapdoor. From what I could figure, this was a survival bunker built under the shed and they held up inside ever since the first attacks. I didn't dare go down the ladder and decided to let what happened be a lesson. Of what, I'm not certain, but one day I'll figure it out. Now maybe I was in shock, or maybe a little out of my mind from days on the road and very little sleep. But as I stood with my back to the world, a small hand reached out of the pile of corpses and latched onto my ankle. By the time I realized it, the burned and melted face of a little child lunged forward and sunk its teeth into my leg. I reeled back in pain and let out a scream, not too unsimilar to the one from a few nights before when that helpless woman came stumbling into the street. I limped back to the apartment and didn't bother putting any of the fail-safes into place. What was the point? Like I said, I've been watching these things for a while now. And I know what happens when they bite someone. So I'm writing this in the hopes that one day it'll be found. And that someone will know that I didn't mean to kill those people. And that this is a fucked up world we live in now. I hope wherever I'm going, there's peace. And I can find forgiveness. I can hear the groaning beginning outside again. They must have heard my screams. Hopefully I can just put my earbuds in and drown it all out. The preceding story was taken from a handwritten journal entry. The journal was found in eastern Canada, in a rusted outburn barrel. The majority of the journal had been destroyed by fire, but this entry was remarkably well preserved. Entry number two. So what, I just press this button here? What? Oh, it's recording now. Oh, oh shit. Um, okay. Uh, let's 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 do this. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Um, so I've been told to record this. It'll help or whatever. 
it's taken me ages to find one of these so I hope to god this works um, if it doesn't then I guess you're not hearing this oh, god that, that's just stupid anyway here goes um, whoever sees this hears this Christ I don't know however this is getting to you I need you to know something the world the world is fucked it has been for nearly a year now so you heard me right the world is fucked and you can either lay down and let it consume you or you can do something about it you're probably sitting there going Jesus I know but listen to me The only way to survive whatever whatever the fuck is going on is to run. Those things that they're uh, they're messed up, okay? If you've if you've somehow not come across any, you're lucky, but you need to listen to me. I need you to hear my story. Maybe you might come away with something that might be, I don't know, might be useful. Anyway, I'm recording this from a community. A community set up in the highlands of Scotland. It's not much. Some shitty fences and a few shitty buildings. But there's enough of us here to build something worthwhile. I'm telling you this so you know it's not all shit out there. There's one thing we all need at the moment, and it's, that's hope. My name is Brian Thompson. I guess I should start at the beginning, I suppose. So, about eight months ago, weird reports started to appear in the news. They started small. A few hundred people had this this weird illness, some flu-like thing. Somewhere in, like, Costa Rica or somewhere like that. I, I don't know. I didn't really pay much attention. Within a week, it spread to America, moving through the country quickly. Then, then China recorded cases. Then Europe... At first, it was just people having, like, flu-like symptoms, but ones which died, which was, at this point, into the millions, they came back. Yep, you heard me right. Well, I mean, if you're listening to me, then you know this already. Anyway, they came back, and they were after one thing. Flesh. Before anyone had any idea what was going on, cities fell. New York, Washington, Tokyo, Paris, Edinburgh, London... Then you stopped. Nothing. We went from a week of all this shit going on to nothing. TV stations went off and that was it. I was on my own when my time fell. It happened within hours of cases appearing in Scotland. Uh, I lived in a, a, a wee market town. Nothing that exciting. A couple of shops, a pub and an incredible Indian takeaway. My God, their food was good. Their chicken tikka was to die for. Probably the wrong turn of phrase. Anyway, we didn't stand a chance. I started to notice less and less people out in the streets, but I, I didn't think much of it at the time. The country's been put on lockdown. The, the government's useless vain attempt at protecting people it didn't fucking work. I know. Let's lock people in their houses and allow the dead to have easy access when all you can fucking eat buffet. Anyway... Those things started attacking, ripping people apart. It was just me when the world went to shit. I didn't have anyone else with me. I spent the first month in my house while we were all locked down. I made sure I got enough food in. I was confident something worse was going to happen. I had no power, no heating, no lights. 
I relied on candles and, and camping stoves for heat and to boil water and to cook food. I remember sitting on my sofa reading, God knows what I was reading, probably something from the collection of books I've always promised I would read but never got around to it. The Apocalypse, the perfect excuse to catch up on reading. That's a selling point if ever I heard one. Anyway, I heard screaming outside. It seems to be coming from Janice and Bill's. They were, they were my neighbours. I went to the window and, and, and just watched as a group of what I call rotters. That's the name I came up for them. Stupid, I know, but what else were I meant to call them? Zombies? That sounds even more fucking ridiculous. They started banging on their door and Bill, the stupid bastard, went out first and within seconds they got in. He went down like a sack of shit. Janice was next and she was torn to buggery. It was fucking horrible. I stayed quiet, trying not to be seen or heard. I guess by the dead, I suppose. It seemed to work. I spent another week surviving, if you can call it that, but I started to run out of food and I knew I would have to venture outside eventually. I grabbed some stuff, only basic supplies, and left. There was a supermarket about a ten-minute walk from my house, so I made my way there. I tried to keep as quiet as I possibly could as I walked the streets, trying to avoid group of the fuckers where I could. Luckily, the ones I did pass, they, they were distracted. After about half an hour, I reached the supermarket. It was the first time I'd seen it since lockdown started. Empty cars littered the car park and trolleys and... Oh, bodies, bodies everywhere. Blood stained the floor like fucking paint, pools of the dark fucking stuff. I knew I had to get in, I had to get in the supplies and get the fuck out again. A quick snatch and grab operation. I got to the front doors which were smashed, there was glass everywhere. Folk had been looting, getting all the good shit before it went bad. I walked in, over the broken glass and into the supermarket. It was quiet, you know. I can remember the chills I got from the silence. My ideas was to, to get tins of beans and soup, peas, whatever, just something I could eat and, and, and bottles of water. I knew I had to get bottles of water. But I took probably about five steps into the shop and then I heard them. Probably about 20 or 30 of the bastards groaning, screaming, wailing, whatever you want to call it. And they could smell me and they were coming closer. I bolted out of there and I ran. I think I must have run for a good two miles non-stop. I knew I had to avoid the centre of town. I mean, if it was as bad as where I was on the outskirts of town, then I knew the centre would have been worse. I don't know how I managed to run for so long, but I am by no means a fit person. Fear, I guess, the, the, the want to stay alive. The things I saw, bodies everywhere, burnt cars, burnt houses. It's like something out of the movies, you know? Anyway, I turned onto the street and it was just full of destroyed cars everywhere. Ambulances, fire trucks, mental. I can remember this dull noise, like a like a droning, a, a deep sound. 
I slowly walked along the street. I was keeping to the shadows. I knew I couldn't be seen. And then I saw the source of the noise. A massive fucking group of the things shambling towards me, engulfing the cars, clawing and scratching it. God knows what. I think they could smell me or something because something kept them coming closer to me, sniffing the air. I remember I stood still, deathly still. It's one of those things that, that came right up to my face, nearly you know, touching my nose. Oh, the stench was just outrageous. Then it left. And needless to say, I, I, I ran so fucking fast. And I made it to the outskirts of town. Anyway, I eventually stopped in the middle of a field and I collapsed. I, I was just exhausted. I lay there for about an hour. Nothing. No people, no things, nothing. I honestly thought I'd dreamt it all. Then that smell hit me. The smell of burning meat. At first I thought someone was having a barbecue and then I saw the smoke. Thick black smoke coming over the hill. I managed to, to scramble to my feet and, and check it out. Uh, a massive bonfire. Someone was burning bodies, human bodies at that. I'm, I'm sure I must have thrown up or if I didn't, I wanted to. But I just, I just, I just ran. You must think this guy is, is mental. He's making all this shit up. But believe me, I wish I was. I really do. Eventually, I reached this farm. It was, uh, it was empty. There was uh, no one around. The barns, they were full of hay and animal feed, but I couldn't see any animals anywhere. I explored a bit and, and found nothing. No food, no, no sign of life. That felt odd, you know? But to be honest, I, I was quite relieved and I found this, this farmhouse. It was dark, empty. I thought I'd hit the fucking jackpot. I tried the door, it, it gave way, it, it opened. Inside though, the, the place was an absolute mess. The, the table was overturned, everything was all over the place. Like someone had just come in and, 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 and ransacked the place. I instantly went into defense mode. I, I went upstairs in the hopes that I would find something worth using, maybe some food, a, a weapon, something. But, but, but what I found haunts me to this day. In the bed, there were, there were two... In the bed, there were two bodies, still fresh of who could only assume to be the owners of the house. Um, an elderly couple. <laughs> they were still in their pyjamas, for God's sake. Both looked like they were asleep. The, the man, he had a large bite mark on his arm. A large chunk of his flesh was missing him. Oh, Jesus. His wife had, had... His wife had made the decision to kill him before he... Uh, before he changed... Oh, shit, I forgot that minor detail. If one of those things bites you, you're fucked. It's, it's lights out. I heard reports of people cutting off arms, legs, hands, whatever, to try and stop the infection. But 
Can you imagine? Jesus Christ. I couldn't do something like that. If I was to get bitten, fuck it. I'll end up myself. I don't care. Anyway, it looked like she'd given him that courtesy. There was a, a shotgun or a, a rifle. I don't know fucking guns. It was a gun in her hand. She'd used it on him and then herself. For fuck's sake. I couldn't... I couldn't stay there, not with that above me. I had... But I had to stay somewhere. And this seemed to be the best place for it. So I buried the bodies on the property, which is not easy as the movies make it look. Have you ever tried dragging two adult bodies down some stairs and into a field? It's hard fucking work. Not to mention digging the graves. Jesus. After everything, that was the last fucking thing I wanted to be doing. I made two grave markers out of wooden planks I found in the barn. Um, their names were Ira and Barbara Helmstein. I want you to remember those names, Ira and Barbara Helmstein, because they were people who had no choice but to die in this new fucking world and they need to be remembered. I stayed at the farm for a good two months, living off rations left by the Helmsteins, but that soon ran out. So I had to leave again. So once more, I packed up my stuff. This time, I took the gun from the bedroom and some spare shells I found, and I made my way to leave. But as I was about to head outside, I heard voices in the yard. A group of people had arrived. My first instinct was to hide. Then it was to try and fight and defend the place, but that was some Rambo shit I was not prepared for. So instead, this stupid fucker decided, let's go out and meet them. Luckily for me, it turned out to be okay. They were soldiers tasked with looking for survivors and bringing them to the community, and that's where I am now. So, after months of surviving this hell of a world, something finally went my way. They're all right. It's they're about ten soldiers and a sergeant. He's he's different, to put it politely. And there's around 30 normal folk living here. We're trying to make something of it. So if you're looking for somewhere to come, come here. It's called Eden, and it's on the outskirts of Port Mahehawk on the west coast. Hopefully I'll see you there. It's nice. It's, it's by the sea, so the fresh air barely blocks out the smell of the dead, which has become the norm in the world. But it helps. Look, guys, this is Brian Thompson signing out. I hope you survive, and if I don't meet you, and you hear this, good luck. Hopefully I'll survive long enough to see the other side of this shit show. So how do I turn it off? This button. No, which one is it then? This one. The preceding story was taken from an audio recording device found at an abandoned settlement on the west coast of Scotland. There was no sign of life at the time it was collected. Entry number three. I don't even know why I'm recording this. Chances are I'm going to die. All of us. Those of us that are left anyways. I know that number can only be dwindling by the day. However, I found this recorder. There's not much I can do anyways, so I'm going to document what I can while I'm here. Maybe the world will return to normal one day. Maybe I'll see it. Though, I feel that likely they're just going to find this on my corpse. 
been about three months since the world fell. At least, I think it has. After about two weeks, I wasn't able to track the days anymore. It's got to have been three months so far. I don't know. I'm just so tired. I'll start from the beginning. Where I was when it all went to shit. A day I will forever remember until the day I die, which is probably going to be a lot sooner than I ever imagined it would be. It was a cool Wednesday morning, the kind that is standard with the changing of the season. I was walking to work, the same route I always did, with my AirPods in, listening to the ACDC album Back in Black. I wonder if anyone will remember ACDC when this is all said and done. I was just about downtown where I worked when I saw a couple of people run past me. It struck me as odd, but I gotta say it wasn't too out of the ordinary. Then another couple, and then a third. It wasn't until that third person ran past me that I started to wonder if something was amiss. It was the look on their face. Complete and utter horror was stricken on that face. Color gone, hair clinging to their foreheads with sweat. I pulled out an AirPod and that's when I was hit with the cacophony of the situation. Within a second, countless sounds hit me in a wave that I felt could have been measured in double-digit decibels. There were several car alarms going off, a steady horn undying. I heard glass shatter and a dog barking frantically, but above it all was the screaming. Even then, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you how many screams I heard, but it had to have been upwards of 30. There were the voices of men cursing, breathless screams, and women screaming as if their child had been murdered right in front of them. I froze. A lot of people talk about our fight-or-flight response, but the truth of the matter is that it's a three-step process. Freeze, then fight-or-flight. Our body freezes to assess the situation and decides whether the situation requires us to flee or to fight. What was probably only two seconds felt like an eternity was a sight that still wakes me up in the middle of the night. At the intersecting streets just in front of me, I heard the sounds of footsteps and screams getting louder. The screaming was briefly stopped when the sound of bodies colliding and the source of the noise fell about four feet in front of me. I saw a dirty, bloody body tackle down a girl who couldn't have been a day over 17. The screaming resumed and it was clear it had been coming from the young girl. I then witnessed the bloody body pin the girl down and proceed to start biting her face. It tore a piece of flesh off her chin down to the bone and proceeded to chew as blood and bits fell sloppily down its face. And then bit down on her neck like a wild cat eating a deer. I'd always heard that arterial spray had a long trajectory, but fuck, it's truly unbelievable how far it will fly until you see it. I could still hear the screaming, but the volume began to die down with a gurgling, the sounds of the screaming sounding like a head bobbing in the ocean, gasping for air. The screaming had no sooner stopped when the attacker noticed me. I still can't tell you if that attacker was male or female, but I could paint you a picture of those eyes in vivid detail. The moment that the attacker froze to assess the situation felt like an eternity. He chose fight. I spun on my heel and I ran faster than I ever had in my life. I could hear the footsteps behind me in pursuit. As my shoes pounded the concrete, I could hear the chaser falling behind. I couldn't bring myself to look back. I took one out of the Forrest Gump playbook and just kept running. I'd always been athletic, but I tell you that the speed and duration that I ran is something that I never thought myself capable of. 
fear is one of the most powerful emotions, you know. When there's a steady flow of adrenaline flowing through you, the human being is capable of amazing feats. Whatever was going on seemed to be local to the downtown core. As I ran the back streets back to my house, I ran into nothing. Though I could see a few people running in the distance, and I could still hear the chaos ringing in the background. Though I'm getting quieter as I put it further behind me. I got into my house and immediately packed a bag with all the things I had deemed essential in that moment. I'd seen enough horror movies to know what at least seemed like was going on, but I thought there was no way that what I thought was happening was actually fucking happening. In that backpack, I loaded up three pairs of jeans, a sweater, seven cans of Chef Boyardee, a beer, and a photo album. I felt like I was running on instinct. I knew my plan, though I hadn't yet mentally acknowledged it. I ran it back outside, bag in tow, and hopped in my car. A small little Focus hatchback began to drive west in the direction of my family's cottage. It was a small little shack that my parents left me when they passed, but it was far enough away from everything, and I knew it would be the best spot to hold up until all this blew over. I'm starting to think that was a pipe dream. As I made my way up, I could see that the chaos had spread a little bit further from the downtown core, and though clearly people were also beginning to make their way out of town in their cars, traffic wasn't completely unmanageable. Nobody was doing the speed limit, and cars were just flying around the roads like a Fast and the Furious movie, except there's no Paul Walker and no Vin Diesel. I had had a four-hour drive ahead of me, and once I felt I was far enough out of town, I decided I would need to stop for gas. I pulled over to a service station and filled up. When I walked in to pay, I still don't know why I fucking walked in to pay. I noticed that no one was standing behind the counter. I walked around the aisles looking at the overpriced snacks and essentials, grabbed myself some microwave dinners, water, a Red Bull, a bag of chips, and I went to attend me. I placed it all down and stood for some time waiting for the worker to come to the counter. I assumed that the worker had just slipped away to use the washroom, but after three minutes, I became confused. Still, I don't know why I stood there. Like, what the fuck did you think was going on? It was then that I heard a clatter of things falling off the shelf in the back room. Hello? Shit, I gotta be more quiet. Hello? I called out in the direction of the stockroom door. There was no answer. I began slowly walking towards the door. I know what you're probably thinking, something along the lines of, are you fucking stupid? I get it. As I mentioned, I was a horror movie fan. I was totally one of those people who, as I watched, would be critiquing the characters and their stupid decisions, finishing the movie with a, well, that wouldn't happen to me. If I can attest to anything after all this shit, it's the fact that no matter what you think you would do in a horror scenario, no matter how certain you are that you would be on top of it, when the situation becomes a reality, you act a whole hell of a lot different. Hello? Shit. I need to keep it down. Hello? I called out again. I was met with nothing. I approached the swinging back door and slowly pushed my way inside. There was shit everywhere. The entire back storeroom had about as much of the floors as it did on the shelves. Cans and bags of food were scattered all over the floor. Bottles of cleaning products and tools, you name it. It was all over the floor as if it had been thrown. I'd gotten about five feet in when I saw a pool of blood still running across the floor. 
I looked and saw it running from the head of a man about my age. It was at this moment when I heard a guttural growl and the shell fell and I was pounced on. I fell to the floor, smacking my head across some cans and my vision blurred. I could see my attacker. She was covered in blood and her clothes were ripped in scattered spots from head to toe. I could see that the parts of her skin were deeply scratched and her eyes were missing. I didn't think about it then, but often wonder what drives them without vision. Her hands were trying to get me, but the shelf she had knocked over was atop of me, acting as a wall between me and her. The only problem was that shelf that was keeping me separated from her was also keeping me pinned to the ground. I kept trying to pull my body, but it was useless as I had been winded and I was having trouble finding any strength. My attacker continued to growl as her hands tried to get a grip on me through the shelves, the smell coming off of her. Though I smelt it so many times since then, it was like nothing I had ever smelt before. I still can't really describe it. It's something that I hope whoever is listening to this will never have to experience. With a moment's focus and a deep breath, I somehow found the strength to turn over. I was unable to start dragging my body towards the door. Unfortunately, my attacker was also able to get one of her hands on me. The strength was overwhelming. Her grip was like a vice and I could feel her beginning to push through my flesh with broken fingernails. I screamed and mustered enough strength to pull my body forward. This got the majority of the shelf off of me, but my attacker still had my leg. She then let go, but could somehow now see she had a clear path to my body. I couldn't get up in time before she was on me. I kicked her in the face, which propelled me towards the door a bit, but she was on me in no time. I could feel her breath on my skin as my right hand found a hammer that had fallen off the shelf. Just as she was about to bite into me, I swung with all my strength, the claws of the hammer sinking into the decaying cranium with a splash and a crack. My attacker dropped on me lifeless. I was up in seconds and back into the storefront, the hammer dripping blood in my white knuckled grip. I went to the counter and grabbed the items I planned to pay for and headed out the front door in my car. As I turned around the front of my vehicle, I was met with yet another lumbering body. It saw me and it made its way for me. Adrenaline still surging with courage from the previous moment, I wasted no time and went for him, swinging the claws of the hammer into his head with another splash and crack. Once again, I dropped lifeless and I got into my car. I started the ignition and just as I was going to put it into drive, I stopped. I still had quite a ways to drive ahead of me, and God knew how long it would be before this was all dealt with. I was never a thief, but I felt that these were extreme circumstances, and we all know those call for extreme measures. I raided the rack outside the service center of every jerry can and filled them to the brim, loading up my trunk. If I had gotten into a collision, I would have gone boom, but it was obviously a risk I was willing to take at that point. I then went into the service station and began loading up empty boxes with all the food and supplies I could fit. Tylenol, canned goods, drinks. If I thought about how the coming weeks would play out, I would have grabbed cigarettes to barter, but the thought didn't even cross my mind. As I loaded up, I could hear clattering and strained groaning from the back room. I wasn't sure and I wasn't going to check, but I can only assume the worker that had been the main course when I first came in was trying to get up but was trapped under that shelf. When my car was loaded up to the brim, I continued the journey to my cabin. It isn't a large cabin by any means, but it could comfortably fit a family of five. 
but it was too exposed with the giant windows my dad had installed for my mom because she loved natural light. Well into the night, I secured my fortress for what I thought would only be a few days. My dad was a woodworker, so there had been whole skids of waterlogged 2x4s and 2x6s, which I doubled up in front of all the doors and windows on the main floor and finished the upper windows the next day. No one was coming in dead or alive. I don't know if this is picking it up, but you can hear them scratching at the front door right now. It's pretty common that they try to get in, but hasn't been too overwhelming and they usually wander off once they get bored. It was also lucky for me that my father was a hunter, so I had two rifles, a shotgun, and a healthy supply of ammo. I'd always thought it was stupid how much he stored, as we rarely visited and anyone could have easily stolen it all. But on that first night, I'd never been happier. Over the course of these past few months, I haven't had many visitors. I didn't venture out at all that first week, but as time passed, I've slowly grown some courage and scouted the surrounding area. I've killed a few of the dead, ran from crowds too large for me to deal with, and I've met another survivor group. I trust them, but I'm wary. The husband's a little twitchy, and these times can make you visit some dark places in your mind. You can trust me on that. I don't think they know where I'm staying, but it wouldn't be that hard for them to have followed me. We'll see. I originally thought this would blow over, but it looks like I'm in this for the long haul. I don't even really know if it's gonna end. I guess I'm gonna rest now. I'll try and record a little bit more tomorrow. The last story was taken from a small digital recording device found on the decomposed body of a man in southern Canada. His skull was crushed, indicating he died of blunt force trauma to the head. It is undetermined whether or not he was one of the infected. This episode included stories by Johnny Ward, Ian Daniel, and Kieran Begg. To find out more about Kieran, you can follow his Instagram at Kieran B. Voice Actor, or check out his podcast over at eerieearth.com. The theme music was written and recorded by Tony Lind at Tonescape Music. You can follow him at instagram.com forward slash T-O-N-E-S-K-A-P-E. Mixing and mastering was provided by DJ Tiger. Check him out at T-Y-G-R on SoundCloud.com. If you or someone you know has a story to tell from the zombie apocalypse, we'd like to hear from you. Go check us out at TheLostDaysPod.com. 